Okay, is this working? Am I here? Can everybody hear okay? Well, three people can. Is it coming through the system? Am I loud and clear? That's all right then. We're just looking um, over the next uh, few weeks at... uh, Our life groups are looking specifically at a book called uh, Love Your Church. And the chapters of the book um, I thought were ideal titles for a little series running up towards Christmas. So we're looking at uh, how to love your church and why your church is desiring or deserving of your love. Last week we talked about belonging. This week we're talking about um, welcoming. Do you feel welcome? Okay, it's just us here, right? So nobody else is coming in, does it? Do you think that we're welcoming? Okay, does anybody think that we're not? Is this sort of just, just sort of putting it out there, really? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, yes. Okay. What do you think sometimes we do that makes us not welcoming? You don't really know. Does anything, does anything, do you think, Rog, when you come in, do you think, oh, if they did this different, it would be so much better? Oh, well. Tell them that they're lovely. This is good. You're lovely. You're lovely. See, that one of the exciting things, though, is, is that you, you know we're lovely. You know that you belong, because I told you about that last week. You know that you're so welcome, and you are aware, as we've just picked up, because nobody came back with anything negative, that we're welcoming. People greet you as you... Did people say hello to you as you came in? Yeah? Did anybody direct you to a seat or did you just go for where you wanted to go? Bit of both, really. Yeah? There you go. So you're welcome. And then when you sit down, did people talk to you? Because that's the other thing, isn't it? Did anybody else talk to you? Other than the fact that I told everybody to talk to each other at the beginning. Did, did people get talked to? Did you think? Yeah? You did, nobody's spoken to you, Rachel? What I'm saying is sometimes it's because you talk to the people you know. And sometimes you have said to them, try and find someone who's better. Yeah. It's easy to talk to people you know, isn't it? You sort of gravitate towards people. And if... If you look across at somebody and you think to yourself, I've got no idea who you are, it's really tricky to talk to them, right? But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take the lid off that and say, everybody's in the same boat. Everybody feels... Now, we did a a gift... I'm I'm so off-piste now, we could be here till Christmas. Um, We did a a gift course... Asking the question, do you know what your spiritual gift is? Do you know what your talent is? Do you know? Well, what we did is we based it around the word shape. So we looked at, we took a Saturday morning for three hours. We looked at our spiritual gifts, our heart, our abilities, our personality, and our experiences. And we worked them all together. And what we're doing is saying, Lord, how have you shaped me to be part of this body? And if you've never done that, you, you need to say to me at some point, Dave, when are you doing the shape course again? Does anybody want to do that? 
Nobody else wants to do it. Well, that's fine. I won't do it. Then. Oh, I thought it was all right. Um, where was I going with that? Where was I going with that? It was going to be really important. It's off tangent. It's off piece, but we're going to get back to it. Um, gears. Oh, yeah. When we were doing the course, we asked about my personality. And the general feeling was that I was um, uh, very reserved, very inhibited. Um, I'm... I'm an extrovert. That, that's how it works out, really. I, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I get my energy from just being around people. I just, I love being around people. And um, when everything shut down, first of all, um, with COVID, when everything closed down, there was nothing going on. And most of us were, t- unless you were an essential worker, and I got classified as, as an essential worker. How about that? I've just, I felt really quite good. So I was classified as an essential worker, and therefore I could go to work. But I came here to the building. Well, there's nobody here, which was fine. So there was no sense of, of spreading anything. So I came here, except for the fact, what I liked about it was that we were having this place refurbished. So we had electricians coming in. We had plasterers. We had decorators. We had uh, a carpenter coming in. We, then we had carpet people. And I just loved it. Because I just love being around people. So I find it relatively easy to talk to people. They probably find it extremely difficult to talk to me. Oh, get back, Dave. Too much. But the truth of the matter is, unless you're wired up specifically, your personality to be a little bit more extreme, the fact of meeting and greeting people and talking to people, especially strangers, is hard isn't it let me tell you this one then when I go into a room like I was at a conference recently and I'm stood in this room and I don't know anybody and then I think to myself how am I going to engage with anybody here I found that the best thing to do was to get a cup of coffee and once six foot 13 stone Dave He stood there with a cup of coffee in his hand. I feel I've got a purpose. I don't need anyone to talk to. I don't feel under pressure because I've got my cup of coffee. And if I've got my cup of coffee, I can stand and I don't look out of place because I've got my coffee. But I'm also um, empowered to move with my cup of coffee into the realms of someone else and I can just talk to them. But it's easy because if, if it goes off beam or doesn't really go anywhere that's fine because I've got my coffee me and my coffee so if you struggle to touch base with people grab a coffee and walk around okay we see a lot of people do walk around with their coffee you check out the stains on the carpet but if at any time you think to yourself I don't know what engaging with people talking to people is really tricky grab a coffee and suddenly you have meaning And that's how how I I do it for myself, just to to put it out there. Anyhow, it's got nothing at all to do with what I'm going to talk about today, which now is going to uh, try and sort of squeeze it, really. Welcoming. How can we be more welcoming? We should always be looking for opportunities to be more welcoming. I want the people who come for the first time to join with us to feel that this is a place that they could belong 
that they could use the gifts and abilities, the shape that God has made them to help us to be the body that God has called us to be. But you see, you can only make a first impression once. And if we blow it first time, then what happens is there's a good chance that we won't see those people again. If they come in and they sit down and nobody speaks to them, why would they come back? I wouldn't come back. I really wouldn't come back. Which means it's not just about the worship and the music and how we lead from the front. It's not about the prayers that we pray or the speaker who speaks because we have various different speakers coming and speaking, which is great. It's actually all about, all about you. The difference between us growing as a church is that people feel welcome, they feel at home, they feel that the presence of God is here and this is where God has called them to be. And we can, as individuals, mess that up if we don't say, hi, good morning, nice to see you, you are so welcome. And then when they tell you that they've been coming here for 20 years, it's, don't be offended that you've never spoken to them, it's fine. They love you and they love what you're saying. But welcome is something to do with the inherent character of God. Our God is a God who welcomes. Let me read you a story. This story, you know it off by heart. But I'll read it to you, then I'm going to land at a few places and then draw things to a close. The story starts like this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. I'll tell you what, this is a better way of doing it. I'll talk to you through the reading. A father has two sons. The two sons will inherit everything that the father has. That's the way it works. And the first son, the younger son, comes to his dad, as I've just read, and says, Dad, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, the eldest son gets the majority, so the eldest son would have got two-thirds of the estate. The youngest son would have got one-third of the estate. But here's the situation. The only time that they get their inheritance, what has to happen? Dad's got to die. So young son coming to dad, he's saying, I wish you were dead. That's, I mean, that's just not a nice thing to do. Now, this story is being told in front of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers of the law. They're trying to catch Jesus out. And what Jesus does is he takes those who are listening on a journey. And it's a journey of lost things. He starts off with a lost sheep. One sheep's lost. How many is found? 99. So he's got 99. One's gone missing. He leaves the 99 and goes to get the one. Does that sound like a normal thing to do? I, it just doesn't sound normal, does it? Leaving 99 and going and getting the one. If you've got 99, I would say, do you know what? I've got the majority. We'll let that one. Have you ever thought that that's not how God works? The moment that you discount yourself, the moment that you say, I'm not worthy, the moment that you say you have blown it too many times, the moment that you say, I am not counted as part of God's family because 
of the things that I do, the things that I say, the things that I think. The moment that you think that, remember that there is an enemy who's speaking to you and that is not what the Father would say over you. The Father would say, you are the one that I'm going to go and get. I'm going to leave the 99 and I'm going to go and get the one. And you may very be the one that he goes searching for. God loves lost things. I hate losing things, but I get quite excited when I... Has anybody ever lost their keys? Have you ever lost your keys? Regularly. And when you... Now, I always put my keys in the same place so I know where to find them. And then you end up... What happens is when you lose things, people always give you that advice, don't they? They say, when did you last have them? What else do people say to you? He's got a little tracker to find his keys. So go to where you last had it. Where we, did you last see them? Where did you last use them? Where? Check your pockets. Always the way. Now, what we always need to do as well is we need, we've, we've got a difference between the man look and the carol look. You see, the man look, this was me, Josh, and Ben. We don't have the same eye-focused uh, capabilities as Carol does, because Carol sees things that we don't see. Carol says that we need to hoover. Ben and I think, why? <laughs> Carol sees things that we don't see. Lost things. And when things are lost, it causes concern. Our Lord is concerned about those things that are lost, and especially people and when they are found there was a party so after the sheep one that went astray was found and brought back a party was had but we start off with them um, with with a lost sheep then we get to the next part of the story is what lost coin lost coin so there is a lady who loses a coin i think she did she have 10 and lose one there you go sweeps the whole house finds the coin, then throws a party. I love the idea. I'm thinking to myself, next time I lose my keys and find them again, I'm going to have a party. People will say, why have we come to this party, Dave? Found my keys. And then the third story. I think what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to speak to those who are very legalistic about who should be in and who should be out and he is saying, those that you think should be out are actually in. And you may even be thinking that you should be out, but no, you're in too. When we gather like this on a Sunday, and, and we are in here together, we are aware of God's love for us, because that's what happens in here. That's what we talk about. But the thing about what we talk about is that we take it out. Because our desire is that all those who surround us in the community around us would come to know that they're in too. They're not in here, but in God's view, they're in too. They are the lost sheep worth leaving us behind to go and get. They're worth sweeping the house for. And then we party. I just like the idea. We were praying this morning. Leadership team coming together. We pray. And, and this morning we were praying about uh, God growing the church. 
that we might see more coming to know our Lord. And what about if we had like an annual party and we celebrated all those who have been new to us in the previous year? So if you haven't been here, you know, in, the previ- in that year that we've come, then we can have an annual party. I'm just liking this. Sally's thinking to herself, another food event. Uh, but wouldn't that be fantastic? Let's celebrate. Now, the thing about it is a lot of churches just don't grow. So the party would just be real flat, wouldn't it? But what about if we said, okay, let's just see. What about 2023? That's only next year, 2023. 2023 is 10 years away from 2033. Did you know that? And 2033 is 2,000 years since Jesus died and rose again in our calendar. Wouldn't 2033... How, how do we see it? How welcoming are we as a body, as a church, that we might see such substantial growth over the next 11 years that when we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection on Easter 2023, Basingstoke Baptist Church would be the biggest it's ever been. Because we've helped people to understand they belong and we are welcoming. Wow. When the son said to the father, I want your property, what he's actually saying is, I don't want you here anymore. The word property comes, the base word for the word property in the Greek is bio. And bio, we get the word biology. So when he's actually saying, you know, I want my property, I want the property. Uh, he said, I want you, I, I want what you represent. And the father responds in a really funny way. Because he gives it to him. It says, not long after the son got together, all he had set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth on wild living. You see, when the teachers of the law were gathered around listening to the story story that Jesus is saying, when he said, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property, what they expected was that the father would rise up, lift his hand, give the lad a good slap, and send him off to work in the fields. But he didn't, because this is what Jesus does. What he does is he flips things. You think it's going to be like this, and actually it's like that. Blessed are, and then the list in the Beatitude goes on. Those who are poor, know you're blessed. I could go on, that would be a beer till Christmas. After he'd sent, spent everything, because he went off, first of all, and he went off and it says that he set off to the distant country. There he squandered his wealth on wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. One of the things that I love about the way that God works is he says, do you know what, do you know what? I'm going to work through every situation? He's, he, he doesn't wait for a perfect time to do things. And when I read this this week, I'm thinking, well, a severe famine comes into the country. Interest rates start to escalate. Cost of fuel goes through the roof. To put petrol or diesel in your car, it costs you an arm and a leg. Just check out the cost of, we were talking the other day, milk has gone up, bread has gone up. Yes, it has, isn't it? 
So in a sense, this is a perfect time because God works at any time that a people who have faith in him can hold on to him even though everything is crumbling around. Famine comes into the country. Difficulty. So he went himself out to a citizen of that country. He sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Pigs, of course, we recognize. Jewish family, they didn't have pigs. So this is like the worst job he could have. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, and this is the beautiful thing that happens. You see, sometimes our circumstances help transform our senses. It's not until we find things, find things uh, are a little bit more extreme or a little bit more challenging that we might find ourselves speaking to God a little bit more. When you're on your jog in the morning, you might say to him, Lord, I need your help. And he'll say, well, this is what I want you to do. The difficulties can drive us to our knees. Or if we want to talk whilst we're walking. But this is a beautiful time to speak to God. He comes to his senses. He said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? And, where, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And this is what I love. From the moment that he said, Dad, I wish you were dead... And he gathered all his stuff and headed off to the distant land. Father didn't stop looking for him. You're never out of God's attention. You're never off his mind. I love it. You know, your face is on his fridge. Every time he goes, he's thinking of you. And that's the same situation here. The father we see in this story is a father like no other father. Except, of course, our Heavenly Father. But whilst he was a long way off, Father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran. Here's another thing. You see, the bottom line is, all those who are listening to the story as Jesus is speaking are expecting Jesus to respond how the world, the world of that day would have responded. It would have been really the Father seeing the Son coming in the distance would have gone to the servants and said, get the pitchforks, chase him off my land. But he doesn't. The father, an elder, one of honor and respect, hitches up his clothing and runs. I, I think that is one of the most beautiful pictures of our loving God, is that he pursues us. He's looking out for us. He runs towards us. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You see, there's nothing that we can do that would make God love us more. There's nothing that we've done that would make him close the door. Just so simple. There's nothing you can do. He loves you. And this is the beautiful message that we are to share to the world that they would know that they are welcome in the presence of God because he loves. What an amazing father.
The son wanted to take over. He wanted to take control of the situation. Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But you can almost see the dad with his arms around the son, heading back towards the house, and the son is trying to tell, come with all of these. I don't know if you've ever come before God and you've said, Lord, I've messed up here. I've said this and I've done this and I've watched this. I shouldn't have been watching this. I shouldn't have said this. I've done this. And, and, and Father is just saying, would you just shut up? 2,000 years ago, that sin was paid for on the cross it was paid for there is nothing that you can do that will turn the father away from you because his son gave himself for you 2,000 years ago he's not going to die again when Jesus was on the cross his closing words were it is finished and we come to God with all this pity and all of this junk that we're bringing up because the enemy wants to make us feel dirty and, uh, and disgusting and detestable. And the father just says, he wraps his arm. I mean, this guy's been working with pigs. Has anybody ever worked with pigs? Is it only me then? I can honestly say, I, me and Penny, I, I, I stinketh. Yeah, I stinketh. Pigs smell. We had a, an indoor pig unit, and, uh, uh, well, you, you, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's like chip shops, isn't it, Joe? You, it doesn't matter, you know, how much you wash, you smell like the chip shop, don't you? You know, it sort of gets into, the same as with working with pigs. Joe doesn't run a pig, chip, a pig shop or a chip shop anymore, and he doesn't smell like chips anymore. <laughs> but there was a time. The father turns it on its head and he says, Servants, quick, bring the best robe. I need to clothe my son again with his inheritance. He thinks he's not worthy, but I'm going to re-clothe him. Get the best robe, put it on him. Put the ring on his finger. That's that inheritance again. You are my son. You belong to this family. A ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Servants didn't wear footwear. Sons do. And he says, I'm clothing you. You're in. You are a son. You have dignity and honor. And that's exactly what Father does. And that's exactly what Father expects us to do as we welcome people in, into this father's house he says it doesn't matter who they are clothe them with dignity doesn't matter where they've come from honor them doesn't matter what they've been part of in the past they can be a brother and a sister don't expect them to be lower class in any way shape or form we're going to put shoes on their feet we're going to honor Everything we have is for everyone. But this is what turns things around. Put the ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring it off and kill it. So it was a great day for the family. Bad day for the cow. Um, if it's a family feast, they kill a chicken. If it's 
an extended, let's extend it a little bit more with some, a few friends, will we'll kill a goat. When you kill the fatted calf, you are saying to the whole village and all around, we are partying and you are welcome. A fattened calf is a massive billboard that you are putting out with flashing lights saying something monumental has happened and we are celebrating and you're all welcome. It was fattened calf time. For the son of mine was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. But meanwhile, now this is where we've got to really check things out. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. A clear sign of a, a lack of relationship and communication with the father. Stuff is happening. You see, you see for a son to come home, word would have got out that the younger son has come home. To kill the fatted calf and to start a party, that is not something that happens, bang. A text didn't go out. People had to talk. People had to change things in their diary, set time aside to come to this party. So this is not something that's happened within two minutes. This is something that needed to be prepared, something that needs to be discussed, something that needs to be organized, and the one person who is out of shot of all of this is the elder son. And one of the things that we need to be very, very careful about is when we find ourselves distant from the father that we don't know what he's doing. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old Apple Watch. You see, when father put into place that there was going to be a party, it was for everybody to know and the one person who didn't know was the elder son. There's elder sons in churches who don't like all the good things that are happening to everybody because they feel that they don't deserve it. Older sons are picky. Older sons are argumentative. Older sons say, we don't do it like that here. Older sons say, we've never done it that way before. Older sons are holding on to something, but it's not onto the father. The older son didn't know what the father was doing. He hasn't been spending time in the presence of the father. He wasn't looking to the father for direction. The leadership team gathered this morning, as we will be gathering every Sunday morning, to specifically spend more time in prayer because we want to know what the father is doing. The last thing we want to do as a leadership team is turn up here and find that there's a party and we knew nothing about it. Intimacy. Getting close to Father is so important. That's not what was happening with the older son. He distanced himself, and therefore it was hearsay. And then he had to ask. He didn't even go to his dad. He asked a servant, what is going on? When the relationship with Father is such that you have to ask somebody, don't talk to me about God. I love talking about God. But do you know you can go and talk to God yourself? And if you have trouble in that area, then I'd love to help you. I'd love to help you. 
But the great thing is from this story that I recognize is that Father wants to meet with us. And once we get that understanding of who Father is and what he wants for us, then we can become transformed into the people that he wants us to be, a people who know we belong and also who give a welcome to the community around us. He heard it. He asked the servant, what's going on? Your brother's come, he said, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's safe and sound. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. How about God that we follow? A God who pursues us and continues to pursue us, even when you're in a mood, even when you're saying, do you know what? I don't want anything to do with you, Lord, Lord, any longer. And he still comes and says, well, but I want to have something to do with you. All these years, this is it. All these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my mates. But when your son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you, forget, you kill the fattened calf. Uh, pity parties. I like, I like fattened calf parties. I don't like pity parties. I think our Heavenly Father loves fattened calf parties. That which is lost has now been found. Pity parties, get over it. Get a vision of how good our God is. And this is his response. My son, you're always, everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. But just today, recognizing that we are called to be a church that welcomes. We are a church that welcomes because we have a father who welcomes. We have a father who is generous enough to release resource to us, even if we're going to mess it up. We have a father who looks out for us when we're out doing our own thing. And when he sees us returning towards us, he lifts up his gowns and pursues us. Swings us around and kisses us. Reclothes us with dignity and honor. And then celebrates. That's what he's done for you and for me. Do you know him? It's the question, do you know our Heavenly Father? Have you given your life to Christ? Are you walking with him, talking with him, jogging with him? If not, then I'd love to introduce you. And if you do know him, would you just know him as the welcoming, loving Father who always sees the best rather than the older brother who's picky cantankerous, moody, judgmental, pity party type of person. Don't go there. And I think somehow when Jesus was sharing this story, as he was sharing it, maybe some of those Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, rulers, realized that they were the older brother. And they needed to be more like the Father. Our worship team are going to come and lead us in our final song as I...
close in prayer. Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you for helping us, even from this word this morning, to know how valued we are. We're worth searching for and then partying about. May we, in all we do, as your family, your church, reflect the Father that we've read about this morning. Help us to love one another as you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.